Unusually, I'm going to start with some words from the book of Leviticus and then follow them up with some words from the letter to the Hebrews. From Leviticus 23, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you will announce the Lord's chosen festivals as holy meetings. These are my special festivals. Work for six days, but the seventh day, the Sabbath, will be a special day of rest a holy meeting. You must not do any work. It's a day of rest to honour the Lord in all your homes. And then from the letter to the the Hebrews, we must not give up meeting together as some are doing. Nope, we need to keep on encouraging each other. This becomes more and more important as you see the day getting closer. Our opening hymn is a paraphrase, a paraphrase of Psalm 122 by Isaac Watts. How pleased and blessed was I to hear the people cry, come, let us seek our God today. And if you're able, you're invited to stand as we sing.
we come to God in prayer. I'm going to use a couple of prayers taken from a book called Prayer Encircling the World, one which comes from Britain and one which comes from Kenya. And then at the end of those, we will join together in the Lord's Prayer. So let's pray together. Bright and beautiful God, thank you for our beautiful world, a place full of beauty and variety. Thank you for the wind and waves, the stars in the sky, the changings of the seasons, the animals in all their splendor. Thank you, God, for the gift of people, men and women and children of many colors and creeds, different shapes and sizes with many gifts and talents, all of them made and loved by you. Thank you, God, for the variety of life. Everything points to your love and glory. Lord God, we bring to you our sins for forgiveness, our hopes, aims, and ambitions for your blessing, our words, duties, and responsibilities for your help, our families, friends, and loved ones for your care and protection, our sickness for your healing. Welcomed, forgiven and restored, we join our voices in our own natural form in the words Jesus taught his friends as we say together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, everybody. My name is Chloe, and I'm part of the Church of God in Corinth. And I have teleported nearly 2,000 years this morning to come and visit you. It's lovely to be with you today. This is a lovely, comfortable place to meet. And you all seem really friendly. So I'd like to thank you for your welcome. And I thank you for helping me to understand what's going to be happening. You gave me a service sheet, which is great. It helps me to feel calm and relaxed, ready to worship God. So different from my church at home in Corinth, which frankly is totally chaotic. Let me tell you a little, about, a little bit about us. We meet on the first evening, the, uh, the, sorry, the evening on the first day of the week, when everybody's work for the day is done. Well, when I say everybody's work is done, I should say those who aren't servants or slaves because actually, they're often delayed. They've still been given some other job to do late in the day. And it's not at all unusual for servants and slaves to arrive at least halfway through our meeting. And sometimes people have to leave early. And actually, because we meet in the courtyard of a big house, sometimes people wander in off the street just to see what we're up to. And there's no set order for what we do. There's no official leaders. Everybody just joins in as they feel led. It's exciting and it's energetic, but sometimes it's total and utter chaos. We sing the old psalms, of course, and those are lovely. A few weeks ago, though, Crispus brought us a new hymn he'd written, a hymn that spoke about Jesus. That was really radical for us, and it caused quite a stir. But you know what? Now everybody thinks they're a hymn writer. We have about 10 different hymns every week. We're a very diverse congregation, so lots of different languages are spoken. And that's lovely, but it isn't always very helpful. 
Sometimes somebody stands up and excitedly shares something, but nobody can translate it, so we all shuffle our feet and look embarrassed because we don't quite know what to do. I was really grateful when our friend Paul said that people should only speak if there is somebody who can translate into one of the common languages. By the way, I really wish that in Corinth we did what you do with what you call the Lord's Prayer, the prayer Jesus taught us. That is so lovely. Just imagine if we could have Greek and Aramaic and Latin voices all blended together like you do. It'd be wonderful. I was really surprised, though, when I discovered you only have one person bringing a reflection on the scriptures. In our church, several people, mostly men, it has to be said, all talk at once, trying to drown out the voices of the others to make sure that they're the one that gets heard. We've had to learn to take turns to speak. And we've had to learn to listen to what other people are saying and see whether it fits in what, with what we know about Jesus and about God. Sometimes my head is buzzing with questions and I wish we could stop just long enough for me to ask them. And that, of course, brings us to the thorny topic of women in the church. Here in Corinth, we allow women to speak in church so long as they are decently dressed which for us means they must have their head covered. And that's fair enough. I mean, we wouldn't allow the men to turn up bare-chested and stand at the front and speak. So we women have to dress modestly and appropriately too. And in our culture, that means you cover your head. There are some people who think that women should be silent in church. In fact, when our friend Paul wrote us a letter, somebody even got hold of the scroll and scrawled in the margin. Women shall be silent in the church. Brackets. That is a genuine theory. I love our church in Corinth. There is so much that's exciting and vibrant, so much to share, and there are so many good people here. I also love the chance to be with you today to see how church has developed in 2,000 years and to see what I can take back with me to Corinth to help us as we worship together week by week. We remain seated as we sing.
I would like you to, if you would please, do a little bit of a, an activity. It's only going to last about five minutes, and you don't have to move around out of your seats. But in groups of roughly three or four, I'm going to give you um, some envelopes that have got in them some things that are or might be part of worship. And what I'd like you to do in those groups is to have a look um, and see which ones do you value more than the others. It's not a case of some, there's no right or wrong answer, and it's not a case of some are valuable and some are useless. They may all have some value. And if you find actually what really matters to you isn't on any of those slips of paper, then feel free to add your own on one of the other slips of paper. So just in threes or fours, just gather yourselves around um, and about three, three or four minutes just to look at those and, and to see in your group which ones you, you value the most. And I would really like it if by the end of three-ish minutes, having had a little chat, you can come up with two or three that are really important for you. So the idea is that each group will choose three of those which you agree are the most precious to your group. So the three that your group think is the mo are for you the most precious. There's no wrong answers. Absolutely no wrong answers. Okay, I'm going to give you another 30 seconds. Those that, for the, that no, no, three between you, between you, three. You can't go. I've got these three, and you've got those. So between you, three that you can, that three that three that you agree on between the four of you. Okay, time is pretty well up. One group I think is still sorting it out, but that's fine. And just because I'm really nosy and interested in what you've been thinking. I'm going to start with the group at the back, and I'm going to just ask you in groups to get one person to tell me which were the three things you choose. There are no wrong answers. You cannot get this wrong unless you give me seven things. <laughs> okay, group at the back, what were your three things that you chose? Praising God. Thank you. Yep. 
praying for other people. Yeah. Oh, it's hard to remember, isn't it? <laughs> Whilst you're thinking, singing, brilliant. Thank you. Singing hymns and songs, great. Um, the group with Sheila in. I don't want to know what you what, think you should be putting at the top. That's the point. But good point, Sheila. Yeah, sometimes we think something should go at the top, but something. Well, we did put praising God, learning more about God through Jesus and sharing communion as a top three. But then the thought that seeing friends and chatting to other people were very important as well. Absolutely. Totally agree. Okay. Um, Jeff and. Well, it's easy. We're in a group of two, and we leave immediately Rachel. all three. <laughs> uh, okay. All are important, but our top three were the sermon and reflection. You'd be glad to know. Um, Cheering communion and praising God. Thank you. And the next group. So we had singing hymns and songs. Singing, yep. Learning more about God and Jesus. Learning more about God and Jesus, thank you. And then we kind of grouped three together because we thought they were quite similar. <laughs> okay, go on then, go for it. Chatting to other people, hearing news of the church family and seeing friends. Okay, it's good seeing your friends and hearing news of the church family. Thank you. Front row. Yeah. Singing. Yep. Um, seeing friends. Seeing friends, yep. And learning more about God and Jesus. Thank you. Nice mixture. This group over here. So we had uh, singing. Yep. And the sermon And we used chatting to other people, but really it was a stand-in for community in general. Okay, thank you. Um, other side of the choir? Oh, sorry, sorry, Will, sorry, uh, sorry. Will, if you... Well, because we're the choir, we have to say singing. <laughs> Thank you. And then we have a write-in. Okay, good. Listening to others about their experience of the week. Okay, thank you. And because everyone else is too chicken to say it, coffee, tea, and biscuits. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Right, now the other side of the choir. You broke the rules, we, we picked four. Um, uh, singing, sharing communion, chatting to other people, and praying for others. Thank you. Yeah, they, 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 told, me they could, told me they couldn't count. Right, front row on this side. You've got sharing communion, praising God, yep. and chatting to other people. Good, thank you. Um, the next row back. Green Thank you. Sharing communion. I've got some people I'm going to have to pay later, aren't they? <laughs> so I can't even find now. Um, the next row. Thank you. Singing dance and songs. Thank you. I think there's one more row, is that right? Yes, well, we would have had tea and biscuits as well. We didn't say chocolate biscuits, so we'd put that one out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Add it on. God, seems most people, the sermon reflection and praying for others. Thank you. Well, I put chocolate biscuits on the bottom, so sorry. <laughs> praying for others, communion, and the sermon reflection thing. Oops, that should be a four, not a five. Thank you. So lots of different things that we find precious and, and for some of us, different things are more precious than others and, that, and that's right, that's how it should be. And different weeks, if I ask you to do it again next week, you probably come up with a slightly different order. But there's lots of good stuff in there about community, which I think is one of the themes I was hoping would come out, as well as stuff about worship and praise and learning. And also quite a lot of other focus, praying for other people, that's really good stuff. So thank you so much for doing that. And I suppose the question I just want to leave us with at this point is, if Chloe from Corinth saw the list, I wonder what she would pick out, and I wonder what messages she would take back to Corinth when she looks at the things that are most valuable or more valuable, perhaps, to, to us as a community here. So thank you very much for doing that. We're now going to listen to some Bible readings. Our first reading is Psalm 122, 
And to make it clear, something I didn't get quite right, when you hear the word you, it's still talking, it's all about Jerusalem and the temple. It's not about you, okay? I was happy when the people said, let us go to the Lord's temple. Here we are, standing at the gates of Jerusalem. This is new Jerusalem. The city has been rebuilt as one united city. This is where the tribes come, the tribes who belong to the Lord. The people of Israel come here to praise the Lord's name. The kings from David's family put their thrones here. They set up their thrones to judge the people. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you find peace. May there be peace within your walls. May there be safety in your great buildings. For the good of my family and neighbors, I pray there will be peace here. For the good of the temple of the Lord our God, I pray that good things will happen to this city. I'm reading Matthew 5 to 13, the Lord's Prayer. And when you pray, you must not be, be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father, who is in secret. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, you will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debt, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And from... Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 9. There were some people who thought they were very good and looked down on everyone else. Jesus used this story to teach them. One time there was a Pharisee and a tax collector. One day they both went to the temple to pray. The Pharisee stood alone, away from the tax collector. When the Pharisee prayed, he said, Oh God, I thank you that I am not as bad as other people. I am not like men who steal, cheat, or commit adultery. I thank you that I am better than this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of everything I get. The tax collector stood alone too, but when he prayed, he would not even look up to heaven. He felt very humble before God. He said, O oh God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. I tell you, when this man finished his prayer and went home, he was right with God. But the Pharisee, who felt that he was better than others, was not right with God. People who make themselves important will be made humble. 
but those who make themselves humble will be made important. When I was thinking about this series of services exploring aspects of spirituality, my intention for today was that I would focus on public and private, by which I had in my head the things we do together on a Sunday and the things we do at home in the week, and how those could be similar or different, and how they are both valuable aspects of our discipleship of Jesus. But as is the way of these things, didn't kind of work out that way. Because as I started to reflect, it became very obvious, and maybe it's always been obvious to everybody else, that this kind of public and private distinction is also true when we gather together on a Sunday morning. There are things we share openly and together publicly, singing the hymns, sharing the bread and wine. And there are other things that are completely private, What's going on in our heads? What's going on in our hearts? What's been going on for us as we gather? I can't get inside anybody's head and, and, and see what you're thinking. And you can't get inside mine and see what I'm thinking. And when we pray or reflect at home, we take with us things from when we've met together. So this kind of private and public distinction was a little bit false, I think. And actually, maybe it's more helpful to recognize that when we're here on a Sunday morning, there are some things that are public and some things that are private, some things we do together, and some things that are about us as individuals. And that is true, that whether we're here or whether we're at home, there's a degree of apartness as well as a degree of togetherness. We are a community of people. We are also, to some degree, a collection of individuals. And those two kind of coexist. We heard some very different Bible readings this morning that speak to us a little bit about public worship and private prayer or personal prayer, about the things we do together and the things we do on our own. And I suppose what I think would be helpful as we look at these readings is to think about those things that we each thought were the most precious on a Sunday. Where do they fit in this public-private spectrum, because it's, I think it's a spectrum rather than a pair of opposites. And, and how does these readings, or anything I say about them, reflect, affect, relate sorry, to any of what we're thinking? From the very earliest days, the people of Israel were commanded by God to meet together for sacred assemblies on the Sabbath. But the time that churches were being established there's a hint that perhaps some people weren't so sure whether they needed to carry on doing this, which is why we have those words in the letter to the, church, the Hebrew church saying, don't stop meeting together. It's important to meet together. I think the whole Bible gives us quite a, a big emphasis on the importance of gathered public worship. I've actually just been using, started using um, a recording of the Bible read by David Suchet. And for the past few nights, I've been falling asleep listening to descriptions of all the sacred assemblies from Leviticus. Pu 
public and private worship are different in some ways, but there are some similarities. I think it's important to recognize and remind ourselves, though, that for most of history, most people couldn't read. And for most of history, most people did, even if they could read, would not have owned a set of scriptures of their own. So the idea of reading scripture every day or listening to it every day, as I'm doing at the moment, would have seemed very strange to them. Rather, they would hear scripture read when they gathered in sacred assembly. They would listen to it carefully. And then over the following days, they maybe would mull over it in private. Any suggestion that somebody like King David or any other great leader sat in his room with a set of scrolls and the equivalent to daily notes or our daily bread is misguided. And, and I have heard people say that over the years. Hopefully you haven't. When the psalmist says, I have hidden your word in my heart, what he means is I've listened carefully when I've heard the scriptures read and, and I have remembered parts of it. Now, none of that is to say that a daily quiet time doesn't have value. Of course it does. But it's just to remind us that that is really a 20th century invention for most of history that has not been part of most people's experience. They would hear scripture read in some form of corporate public worship or public prayer. For the early believers, the Sabbath gathering was very important and very precious. And even more significant for the Israelites was the pilgrimage to the temple in Jerusalem, which prompted the psalmist to write those amazing words from Psalm 122. I was thrilled to bits when somebody said, let's go to the temple. It was the best thing ever when someone said, let's go to Jerusalem and worship God. I have to be honest and say it's one of my favourite psalms and ever since I first came across the Isaac Watts paraphrase with which we began, I have really loved it. I love it because this idea of going to the temple to worship, to meet with God's people, is about glimpsing something of heaven, glimpsing the new Jerusalem in community and together is a glimpse of something more wonderful than everyday life. But of course, life isn't always like that, is it? I'm not quite sure why I'm doing this, because you know how bad my comic timing is, but I'm going to inflict on you a terrible joke. One morning on a Sunday, a mother went to wake up her son for church. For church. She knocked on his door, and he said, not going. Why not, said his mother. Well, I'll give you two reasons, he said. First, they don't like me. And second, I don't like them. His mother said, well, I will give you two good reasons why you will go to church. One, you're 47 years old. <laughs> two, you're the pastor. I don't know how you felt this morning as you got ready to come to church. I don't know what's been going on for you this week. What perhaps happened or you saw or felt as you were coming along to church and how that's affected the way you feel inside. Maybe you're a bit like the psalmist who thinks, fantastic, going to church is the best thing ever. Or maybe you're like the son in the joke who frankly would rather be anywhere else but church. Or somewhere in between. If we think back to those things we identified as being for us the most precious about coming together in church, how are they, for us, a glimpse of heaven? What is it about the singing or the communion, the, the coffee and the chocolate biscuits, the people, the sermon, whatever it is, that helps us to glimpse something of the heaven we hope for. And how does that encourage you on a day when it doesn't feel so positive? When actually the thought of going to church makes you feel sad, 
or dispirited or angry or whatever it might be. Not necessarily because you're cross with church, but because life is difficult. Here we are together. We have shared some songs and some prayers. We've had some readings and we've done some activities. But what's going on in our hearts? What's inside us? What thoughts are we feeling? Jesus told a story about some people who went into a place of public worship. And he told it to some people who thought they were rather superior. Now, there was a real problem with this parable. You can't preach on it. Because if you preach on it, you become the Pharisee. Because you pass judgment on the people in the story. When I heard the story first as a child, it was portrayed as if these two men were praying out loud, one after the other. I'm not convinced that was the image that Jesus was trying to to give us. What I think we have is an all-seeing storyteller who can get into the heads of the two men and he can hear their thoughts. That's the great thing about being a storyteller. You can see everything, you can hear everything, you can go inside people. And we've got one man who is really ashamed of himself. He's really embarrassed. He's come to this public worship, but he can't lift his hands, he can't lift his head. He, he just feels really bad about himself. And his prayer is just very simple. Please, God, forgive me. The other one, on the other hand, is very smug and self-righteous. See, I told you, you have to be judgmental to do this. And he's looking around all these other people who he thinks are inferior to him. And he says, well, thank you, God, that I'm not like him, and I'm not like her, and I'm not like them. Look at me. What a wonderful person I am. Actually, do you know what? Any of us could find ourselves being a little bit like either of them or something different to either of them. Whatever thoughts and feelings we have are private, but God, like that storyteller, can see on the inside and knows what we're thinking. I wonder what is going on for each one of us on the inside just now. How do we feel about ourselves? How do we feel about each other? What is it we would really like to say to God or to hear from God? If nothing else, this little story reminds us that even when we're together, we are in some ways apart. That each one of us has got a private inner world where we respond to God as individuals. So we're just going to take about 30 seconds to think about how we are feeling deep inside and in the silence of our hearts to offer that to God. So even here, In a public place, we can perhaps find a private space. Here, as individuals with personal stories, we also share a common story as a community of God's people. And so lastly, we turn to some words of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, which I have to say, give pause for thought to anybody who's entrusted with leading public prayer. And here again, the private and the public, the interior world and the exterior, external outward world are important. Jesus asked the question, what is it you think you're doing when you're praying? Are you seeking praise for your fine words and your eloquent sentences? Do you like the approving nods and grunts of the congregation? Do you ever find yourself tempted to play to the audience rather than to talk to God? I have sometimes heard this passage where Jesus challenges the 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 people he describes as hypocrites. People using this to say we shouldn't pray in public other than perhaps the Lord's Prayer because that's after all what Jesus gave us. 
arguing that Jesus said, well, you should always pray in private. You should never pray out loud and in public. Well, I'm not sure that that's right. I think what is going on here is that Jesus recognizes the inevitable tension that arises when we pray in a public space and out loud. Of course we want to do our best. We want to offer God something that is worthy and worthwhile, but we don't want people to think we're showing off. We don't want to show off. And we want to pray about important matters, but our understanding is always going to be limited and our motives are inevitably mixed. And Jesus says two things into that situation. When we, we want to pray, we're entrusted to pray, but we, we're not quite sure how to go about it. Firstly, he says, keep it simple. Plain speech, short and to the point. God doesn't need to be told what's happening out here in the world, even if the congregation might, because God already knows. And then he gives us this pattern for prayer that covers the essentials. A simple prayer, quite a short prayer, short enough that we can memorize it. And it covers all the things that needs to be covered. And it is one of the best known pieces of Christian writing ever. But part of the beauty of the Lord's Prayer, I think, is that you can pray it on your own, or you can pray it in a big group, and whichever it is, you are together. You are part of that prayerful community in time and in space. We pray it in different languages. Sometimes we sing it. Sometimes we break it up and offer other bits in between it. But it is a simple prayer that allows us to worship privately and corporately, together and apart, and all share in the same act of worship. So then, gathered worship is something full of hope in which we catch a glimpse of heaven. It's also a place in which there should be space for our private thoughts and feelings. And it is the joining together of countless hearts and minds through time and space, not just with each other here, but with all who have sought to follow Jesus, do seek to follow Jesus, and will seek to follow Jesus. So together and apart, a hopeful spirituality that reminds us we're never alone and we are always loved. We're going to sing two very short songs now, but we're going to remain seated as we do so. They may be more or less familiar, but hopefully we can give it a go. Mindful of Jesus' guidance on prayer, 
let's keep it simple and straightforward. And to wear that our private inner world is a place in which we may pray honestly to God. Apart from some guidance, our prayers will be largely silent. So let us pray. The world around us is complicated and confusing. Conflict and violence, corruption and oppression, ecological disaster and human suffering. Let us pray for the world of which we are part. Our own union of nations is battered and bewildered. Political ambition, societal struggles, economic issues and local matters. Let us pray for the nation of Scotland and for the rest of the British Isles. There are countless mission and aid agencies working throughout the world to relieve suffering and to bring hope to the most vulnerable and marginalised people. This week, BMS World Mission invite us to pray for members of staff, mission partners on home assignment, and volunteers who travel the land sharing stories and encouraging supporters. Let us pray for them. Part of our identity as a worshipping community is within the Baptist Union of Scotland. Today, we are invited to think of Glenrothes, Gurrock, Granton, Granton on Spey, and Greenock Baptist churches as they serve their local areas. And also to pray for Reverend Dr. Jim Purvis, Mission and Ministry Advisor. So let us pray for them. Our thoughts have ranged far and wide. So now we think of ourselves. We take a moment to become aware of our deepest feelings and most pressing thoughts. We pray for each other and for ourselves. God, Jesus promised us if we go to a quiet, private place, and bring our prayers in plain speech, you will hear us. This we have done, and we entrust our prayers and our continuing lives to you in his name. Amen.
It's me again, Chloe. I hope you don't mind me butting in just before you share around the Lord's table. It's just that while it's so different from how things are in Corinth, and I thought I should explain to you why our friend Paul wrote all that stern stuff about eating and drinking condemnation and examining yourselves before you come to the table. As I said earlier, our congregation meets in the courtyard of one of the big houses, and we don't all arrive at once. When we break bread, we have a full meal together, and we tell a story as part of that. But sometimes what happens is those who get there early get impatient, and they gobble up all the food, and they drink all the wine, and frankly get a little bit sozzled. So that those who have to work late, when they finally get there, tired and hungry, there's nothing left for them at all. Well, maybe a few crusts, but certainly not a proper meal. And this is an embarrassment. But not only that, behaving in this way dishonours our Lord. Paul says, you have to discern the body to recognise that we are all part of the body of Christ in order to commune together, in order to participate in the Lord's Supper. But I can see it's different here. You're not having a big dinner. You've just got some bread and some juice. And you aren't sitting around chatting about all your everyday stuff. You're sitting quietly and thinking about what it is you're going to do, what it all means. And you've made sure that everybody who's been able to get here today has arrived. And I think you're doing something really special. I can go back to Corinth really encouraged, knowing that this is our future. The Apostle Paul writes... For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had blessed it, broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let us pray. God of all places and all times. God of public worship and private prayer. God of Corinth and God of Glasgow. Accept our thanks for this bread and wine and for all they mean to us. As we share together, we, may we discern that we are your body in this place. Amen. So Jesus broke the bread and shared it with his friends. And we who seek to be his friends, who are his friends, who he invites and calls to be his friends, Share it too. At the end of the meal, when all had eaten, Jesus took a cup of wine and said, This seals the new covenant between humanity and God, creation and eternity. Whenever you do drink it, remember me. And so, as is our custom, we will retain our cups that we may drink together, a sign and symbol of our unity, one with each other, but also with all people who have tried to follow Jesus throughout time and space.
it's always worth waiting for good things. So let's drink together in gratitude and faith. For memories shared, for hope restored, for love that never ends, thanks be to God. Amen. together and apart. Christ be our companion in public and in private, and the Holy Spirit be our comforter and counsellor now and always. Amen.